first time, a guest, welcome. Or those of you who are joining us online, welcome. We are super excited uh, to have you be a part of us. My name is Steve Cunningham. I get to be uh, the lead pastor here at Wellhouse, and I'm super grateful for that opportunity. I get to work with so many wonderful people who uh, love Jesus and love others really well. And um, so it's, it's just a blessing to be able to do that. I want to let you know, remind you again that today, uh, we do have a couple of announcements. Today uh, is Friendsgiving tonight at 530. Looking forward to that. So, you know, maybe don't do lunch and just come tonight and, and just pig out, you know, um, whatever it is. So bring a, <laughs> that's like, that's the amen part, right? It's like, woo. Um, Come tonight, bring a couple of dishes this year. We're going to have a good time just, just hanging out, being a family together. And we love that, that time uh, together. And also, if you brought diapers today uh, or you saw like a big pile of diapers, you're like, what is going on with that? Um, we get to bless some people in our Wellhouse community with those who are going to be having newborns here pretty soon. And so uh, if you forgot that, you're like, oh, I knew. Tonight, come to Friendsgiving, bring those, and we'll make sure uh, that they get to our families here. Uh, it'll be just a great, great time to celebrate them. Uh, it's good to be back home with you. Uh, my beautiful bride and I, we got back late uh, last Sunday night from a week in Honduras. Uh, everybody's like, how was it? And it's always, always amazing. I will tell you this, the first like 24 hours we were there, there was no electricity, uh, no water. Um, things got interesting, but it's always an amazing time. And for those of you who've been with us now for at least a couple of months, uh, you know that we've been partnering with a group called Mi Esperanza, which means my hope uh, in Spanish. And uh, so that what they do is they work with women uh, in Honduras and they try to elevate them out of poverty. Many times these women who may or may not have children of their own uh, tend to be in abusive situations. They tend to be on the streets. Uh, sometimes they wind up in things like prostitution. So they're teaching them, they're training them to give them skills to be able to provide for their family. So while we were there, we got to, uh, to go to Mi Esperanza and uh, we made a short little video to kind of help you see what they do a little more clearly. And here's that video now. Hey, Wellhouse Church, we're here in Honduras. Uh, right here at Mi Esperanza. Why don't we take a look really quick at what they do?
So, yeah, there you go. Uh, it is always a great time. So we appreciate you uh, supporting that. One of the ways you can support that is by pulling out your phone right now, checking in here at Wellhouse, and using the hashtag, uh, uh, a place for good. Uh, and you do, and when you do that, Wellhouse, we give money back to Mi Esperanza. Uh, another way you can do that is we have lots of jewelry. You saw that they have placed there. It's kind of, it looks like uh, a shop that you're like, wow, they are able to do stuff in there. They do. They make all the jewelry you'll see out there, bags, things like that. So if you're looking for ideas uh, to give somebody in your family for Christmas, you can buy that back there. That money goes to them as well. Uh, over the last uh, month or so uh, that we've been checking and doing that and through your purchases back there, we've been able to give back to Mi Esperanza right around $1,000. Uh, and that's huge. That's really, really huge. So give yourself a round of applause for that. But being wildly generous is just something that we love to do here, and we encourage you, uh, if you're a partner, to participate in that, that we're called to give just like our Father God has given to us. And so you can do that either by, there's a red box in the back, if you want to give by check or cash, you can do that as well. But you can give online if you go out to, uh, to our website on the web there, you can give through that means, or you can also use the PushPay app, uh, you can give as well there. Uh, also, don't forget another way that we can not only give but serve is through something where we call Hope for the Holidays. And really, it's like a month-long time where we get to do tons of really great things. On December 4th, we want to let you know that that, that is going to be our Giving Sunday. And what we do is we just ask for you to think about what you can do to help um, serve in this area by making a donation. If you know of a company who would like to do that, that would be great as well. And then we get to, through that, serve our community in so many wonderful, amazing ways. We get to buy Christmas gifts for whole families and help out uh, different people throughout this holiday time and provide hope. And it's, it's uh, really, really a great time. So we encourage you to be a part of that. Also, we want to let you know on your seat today as you came in and sat down, you should have seen something that looks like this. And on the back, uh, there's a lot of well, that's upside. There we go. Uh, I was about to say, I forgot how to read, but it was just upside down. Um, when you're up in front of people, sometimes you just, you know, you're not sure. All of a sudden, it starts to play with your mind. Uh, and so there's a lot of important dates on there. So we encourage you to either take this home, put it up on your fridge, or if you want to, uh, give this out to somebody and invite them to be a part of a lot of exciting things that we have happening here at Well House. Uh, we have, uh, we're starting a new series this week. Uh, it's called Awe and Wonder. We just wrapped up uh, a couple of weeks ago now, the series Haunted. And, and kind of looking at this series and looking at hope for the holiday, uh, I noticed as I began to kind of think through the idea of hope, that hope is kind of intrinsically uh, tied together uh, with awe and wonder. And, and that's why we wanted to have this um, this series, uh, the why in, in awe and wonder really comes back to reclaiming some awe and wonder in our life. And I thought about that over the last couple of weeks because uh, do you remember the first time you ever flew in a plane? Do you remember that time? Some of you, maybe, maybe, who's never flown on a plane before? We need to get you somewhere. Okay, we're going to get you all somewhere. We're going to fly you. Next year, we're going to Honduras. Come with us. It's going to be awesome. Uh, and we're excited about that. Uh, 
I remember I was, it was 1989. I was nine years old. So that'll tell you how old I am now. For some of you, that means I'm really old. For others of you, I'm a young whippersnapper. Uh, 1989, I flew from Indianapolis, Indiana to uh, Portland, Oregon, and from Portland, Oregon to Anchorage, Alaska. That was my first flight. It's a lot of time in a plane. And that was back before you had to go through all the, ch- uh, the checkpoint security stations. So you could literally, with everybody and their grandmother, walk up to the plane. Actually, even sometimes you would walk you to your seat on the plane and then walk back out, right? And I remember, because I was a little bit nervous and jittery, I'm nine years old, I got to meet the pilot, and he pinned on me the wings, right? And I was like, this is crazy. And they said, hey, you know, dude, would you like to see the cockpit? And I was like... Of course, right? So they they take me up and I get to check out all the, and I'm like, can I touch them? And they're like, no. Okay. And then I go back to your seat now, kid, right? But I was like full of awe and wonder. And I sat down in the seat and the stewardess took her place, you know, and she begins going through the now, you know, this is how you click the seatbelt as if people don't know how to click a seatbelt. I don't understand that. But anyway, click the seatbelt, right? And then the thing's going to drop down if we lose cabin pressure. And then I'm starting to get nervous again. I'm like, I didn't know there was so many, there's a flotation device, and I'm hanging on every word that she's saying because I'm so filled with awe and wonder. But here's what I noticed this last time I've flown many, many, many times since then. And you know what I no longer do? I don't care about the captain. I mean, I hope he's sober. (laughs) But beyond that, I don't really care. And the stewardess is like, please, come on. I was starting to watch the show, and now it's interrupted to hear you talk about clicking the seatbelt. We all, do we all know how to click a seatbelt? Okay, let's kind of get on with it. And somewhere along the way, from being a nine-year-old boy boarding the plane for the very first time to being a 40-some-odd person who boards a plane now, I've lost the awe and wonder of what it is to get in the aircraft and fly across the country. But when you stop and think about it, when you're in the, in the air and you see as you go above the clouds, you begin to think, man, this is kind of crazy. If you're like me, you start to think about all the scenarios that could happen that may not uh, be so great. And you think, what are all the things that are keeping me up? I know there's draft and there's some other things. Somebody who's smarter than me could probably tell me about it. But it is pretty amazing when you stop and think about it. And it got me thinking about this. Are there things that happen in life that really truly are kind of awe and wonder, but I just go through it as if it were natural? normal, every day. It no longer affects me the way that it should or that it used to. And sometimes I think those things happen because over the course of time or over the course of our life, we we come across so many things that kind of uh, just get us used to things, right? They kind of break us down over time that, that sometimes we begin to lose hope. We begin to lose the newness of things, and then once we do that, we, we lose our awe and wonder in life. And let me tell you something. One of the saddest things that we can do as Christ followers, if you're not a Christ follower, then you get a free pass on this. But if you're a Christ follower, man, never lose your awe and wonder of who God is. Because here's what I found, that hope 
and wonder are intrinsically tied together. Hope and wonder are intrinsically tied together. And when we lose one, we typically lose the other. Sometimes we find ourselves in places where it's like, man, I don't see any way out of this. I I don't feel like there's anything left in the tank. I don't know where the next thing is coming from. And we forget that we serve a God who can do anything. He spoke and formed the world. And so as we tie back into the awe and wonder, for some of you during this season, it it may be a glimmer of hope that you've been needing for so long. And in fact, that's what we'll be doing throughout this next month or several weeks together as we do that for other people outside of us, that we give them a glimmer of hope and a glimmer of awe and wonder that God is still moving and active in the world today. Today, I wanted to start with this, uh, this section of scripture. So if you have your Bible, you can open up to John chapter 6, and I'll tell you, um, the last 24 hours of, of our life has been a, a fun and exciting ride. We, we, get to, we get to have a new son-in-law, so we're really super uh, proud of, of that. Yeah, that's right. That's good stuff. Uh, we're excited about that, and, uh, and I normally will print off uh, the, the stuff I'm reading in a larger font because I'm blind. And I forgot to do that this morning. So I'm going to read out of my Bible, and you're going to see just how blind I am. But you can turn to John chapter 6. And we're going to start there in just a moment. But I want to tell you a little bit uh, about this section of scripture. Uh, There are what we call four gospel accounts. Uh, These are accounts of the life of Jesus. Uh, There are synoptic gospels. Those gospels are Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And those rely heavily on each other. Uh, In fact, you read a lot of the stories. they, They read kind of the same in many uh, in many instances and many stories. And then we have the oddball gospel, John. And John just marches to the beat of his own drummer. And that's probably why I love the gospel of John so much. Uh, but what's really interesting is there's only one, there's only one miracle that actually is recorded in all four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If you take out the resurrection, which is a miracle in and of itself, if we take that one out, there's only one miracle that's recorded in all four gospel accounts, and it's this one. It's the one that we're going to be reading today. And I think the reason why it's recorded in all four gospel accounts is because it was such a grand magnitude that there was nobody who could, who could actually refute that it happened. There was enough witnesses, enough participants, there was enough activity around it that everybody was like, man, were you there? And everybody was like, are you kidding me? Of course, we were all there. We all saw it. We all witnessed it. We all participated in it. So this is what happens. If you have your Bible, open up to John chapter 6, starting in verse 1. This is what it says. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias. They're called two different names sometimes in the text. And the author's trying to let you know where it is. A great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs that he performed as sick. Jesus beginning his ministry, and he's doing these amazing signs, and people are like, hey, listen, I have to see the attraction. I have to see the show. I want to see what's going on here. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. And when Jesus looked up and saw the great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, 
Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was getting ready to do. Philip answered him, eight months wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another disciple, Andrew, Simon uh, Peter's brother, spoke up and he said, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? So let's stop here and kind of survey the scene of what's happening. <clears throat> Jesus is gaining this large crowd of people. In fact, we, we hear that it's about 5,000 men. So you can kind of surmise somewhere in between fifteen and 20,000 people when you factor in uh, women and children are gathered up on this countryside. And Jesus sees the problem that, all right, it's, it's going to be time to eat here pretty soon. And the last thing we want is 20,000 people who are hangry. So we probably need to figure out a way to feed them. And what he does, I love this. This is so brilliant. He turns to his a group of people who've been following him, right, for a while. And he says, all right, what are we going to do? And they're kind of like, are you kidding me? I I mean, we didn't plan for this. And even if we had, listen, Jesus, even if we had planned for this, like, do you realize it would take us eight months of wages to give everybody kind of like a small bite? And almost to say, Jesus, are you, you're ridiculous, right? I think somebody kind of points out and says, oh, wait, wait, wait. here's a great solution. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves. By the way, barley loaves were the, the food of the poor. In fact, barley was what you would feed horses. And two small fish. And there in the area, it was probably sardines. I don't know if you eat sardines, but if you do, that's gross. Stop. No, I'm, <laughs> I'm joking. I love you. But that is gross. Um, so we have two sardines and five small loaves of barley, what you would feed a, a horse. And he goes, I guess we could give them this as almost to be a smart aleck. Like this wasn't really going to solve the problem. I was thinking about today, like what, what illustration could I use that would kind of be as, as, as tongue in cheek as what happened right here? And I thought, what if I like went and I got a Tic Tac? And I said, all right, listen, here, in, in just a moment, I'm going to share my tic, not Tic Tacs. I might be able to find a big enough container that everybody could have one. But I'm going to share my Tic Tac with you all. Give me a moment. I'm going to put it in the blender. You'll get a little bit of powder from the Tic Tac. That'll be enough, right? And you're like, you're kidding me. I mean... That's really going to do nothing at all. First part of the miracle. Here it is. Don't miss it. Most people do. Verse 10. Jesus said, have all the people sit down. Miracle. Have you ever been in a church service? I mean, you all don't listen. <laughs> it's like, it's time to start. Y'all like, and so anyway, I was talking about this thing and it was, we have a microphone. It works, right? I mean, like, to get people to do anything, 
It's pretty hard. They didn't have a megaphone. They had no microphone. They're speaking to a crowd of 15 to 20,000 people. And he says, all right, listen, how about you have them sit down first? And they're probably like, are you kidding me? You keep asking us for things. There's no way we can do. Then they have everybody sit down somehow. I don't know how it happens. It's the first miracle. (laughs) There was plenty of grassy place. And the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Then Jesus took the loaves, and he gave thanks, and he distributed to those who were seated, and as much as they wanted, he did the same with the fish. Now, hold on a second. Here's what we find out through the other gospel accounts. Remember, I mentioned that it was in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? That when he gives them, he prays over these five small barley loaves and two sardines, and then he hands them out in the basket, and I have to be thinking the whole time, all right, this, maybe, the, maybe you're different. Maybe you uh, have tremendous faith. But for me, if I'm there, if I'm one of the 12 and I witness this whole thing, I'm, I'm praying with one eye open. Because I'm thinking to myself, all right, what's going to happen now? There is no way he's serious. We just had everybody sit down as if that wasn't hard enough. Now they expect us to do something. And we can't clearly do anything. And he prays, listen, this is huge. He prays over what they have. Don't miss this. See, sometimes we're so fixated in serving and giving hope and in the awe of wonder of what we don't have. And what we forget is, man, God can pray and bless on what you do have already, even though sometimes it feels as ridiculous as sharing a tic-tac with your church. Jesus prays and blesses, and then it says that, that they all had as much as they wanted, and he did the same with the fish. And when they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. And all of a sudden they're like, whoa, how is that even possible? Second miracle, they gathered them together and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over with those who had eaten. Everybody had their fill. Yet there was more than enough when the day was done. Have you been there before? I can tell you sometimes in early life, I remember kind of starting out and early marriage, there's been times where Veronica and I, we, we first got married, I left a, a pretty decent paying job, moved up to Michigan, and I couldn't find a job, and I was kind of jobless for like six months, and finally found the, a place to hire me, and it was part-time, and it was like, we have like five kids, and we have no money, <laughs> So we kind of started like little side hustle gigs to bring in income. But you know what's amazing is, I mean, we never went without what we needed. Some of you have been there before. And you know why that is? You know why that is? It's because that there were people who were surrounding us who had not not tons of resources, not tons of money. They weren't, they weren't independently. They weren't like, man, I got a billion dollars. I don't even know what to do with it all. I guess I'll bless the Cunninghams with it. No, they had like five loaves of barley and two fish. And they were like, you know what? It doesn't seem like much, but maybe you could use it. 
And for us, we're like, oh my goodness, you have no idea what that does for me. It's more than enough. Verse 14, after the people saw the miraculous signs that Jesus did, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who's coming to this world. Jesus, knowing they intended to, to come and to make him king by force, he withdrew again to a mountainside by himself. So all of a sudden, the intentions, they're like, listen, if this guy can do this, uh, just imagine the possibilities. Just imagine all the things he could, I mean, if he could take, you know, five loaves of bread and two fish and feed 20,000 people, there's nothing stopping him. So let's ride his coattails. Let's see what all he can get done here. And he recognizes that he has become a means to the end. Jesus came, let me tell you, friends, to be the end. He came to be the end. And they mistook him as a means to the end. How do we know this? Well, we know this by keeping and reading the story. I'm going to skip over this, so stick with me. I know it's going to get tricky, okay? I'm going way off script. I'm sorry. And just feeling it, okay? <clears throat> Sometimes you have to do that. You with me? All right, here we go. Verse 25, this is what it says. When they found him on the other side of the lake, remember, he understands what they want to do. He's now, they've now made him a means to an end. And he says, no, 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 that's not what I'm about. So he escapes. So they follow him. <clears throat> they ask him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. You're looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Listen, you, you're, you're not looking at me to point you to heaven. You're, you're looking at me to kind of continue to, to meet the needs, the wants that you have in your life. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life which the Son of Man will give you on him. God the Father has placed the seal of approval. What's Jesus saying in this passage? I mean, ultimately what he's saying is, man, you focus so much on the temporal. But don't miss, there's an eternal reason I'm here. There's something else at play See, they kept looking for breads and signs and miracles, and Jesus was pointing them to something different. Keep reading on. He says this. Then they ask him, what, we must, well, what must we do uh, to the works uh, that God requires? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he sent. So they asked him, what miraculous sign then will you give us that we may see and believe you? To which I'm, I have to think, he's like, you got to kid me, right? First of all, I got y'all to sit down. <laughs> then I fed you with nothing. And you want more? Don't miss that. See, I believe the 15-year-old version of yourself 
would look at you square in the eyes today and, and say, are you kidding me? You have so much more than you ever thought possible, and you're still so grumpy. You're still so irritable. I wasn't looking at you, babe. I'm sorry. <laughs> Whoops. Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, sometimes being a preacher is bad. <clears throat> you, you still aren't satisfied. You still aren't content. You still don't have joy. And you have abundantly more than what you thought you would ever have. And you keep asking God, okay, when is it going to get better? When is it going to get easier? When is it going to finally work out? What will you do? Our forefathers ate manna in the desert. As it's written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. They're still focused on food. Some of us can relate to that. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, if it's not Moses who's given you bread from heaven, but it's my Father who gives true bread from heaven, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and who gives life to the world. Sir, they said, from now on, would you just give us that bread? And at this point, I think he's got to be saying, could we just stop talking about bread for a moment? You're so concentrated on the here and now that you're missing the eternal. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. I gave you the means, but hear me, I am the end. Oh, I performed the signs and I healed the sick and I raised the dead, but all of those things were a means to me. I am the end. Here's the thing, church, we get to participate and hope for the holidays. And listen, we get to do amazing, cool, creative things. And I love that. But don't mistake that for the end. Oh, it's not the end. Jesus is the end. And when we, when we swap those things out, man, there's no meaning in any of that anymore. We're people chasing over the next cool thing to do or the next fun thing to do or the next service opportunity to do. And listen, God wants us to do those things, but he wants us to recognize that it's all for a purpose. And the purpose is him. I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry and he who believes in me will never go thirsty but I, as I told you, you have seen me and still you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will, will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I've come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of the one who sent me. Let's stop right there and recognize for just a moment that Jesus implies that he had a will that was separate than the Father's will. Did you read that? Let's read it again. So some of you are like, wait, what? Stop. All right, here we go. This is why I have notes that are bigger than this, by the way. Verse 38. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of the one who sent me. And I want you to wrestle with this. 
if Jesus' role wasn't to do his will but the will of the Father, then what does that imply for me? See, for some of us, what it looks like in following God is doing the things that we already agree with and not doing the things we don't want to do. And I think the best way we can follow God is to say, listen, I'm gonna, if Jesus is going to lay down his will, and he seems like a pretty perfect guy, then maybe what I have to do, in my, even though I seem like a pretty perfect guy or a pretty perfect lady, then I might have to lay down my will as well to align myself with the Father. All of this will happen to him who has sent me, that I shall lose none that he has given me, but raised them up in the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. That's what the Father wants. Don't miss the heart of the Father. He wants that everyone would look to Jesus and believe in him and have eternal life. At this, at this the Jews begin to grumble. Because let's face it, sometimes us church people are good at grumbling. And they grumble about him. Because he said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. And they said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he say, I came down from heaven? And he addresses them. He says, stop grumbling among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who uh, sent me draws him. And I will raise him up in the last day. It's written in the prophets. They'll all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the father and learns from him comes to me. No one has seen the father except the one who is from God, and only he has seen the Father. I tell you the truth. He who believes is everlasting life. I'm the bread of life. Your forefathers ate manna in the desert, and they died. What does that mean for us? It means that you will never have your fill of the temporal, and none of that will save you. In this life, here's, here's the amazing thing. I don't... I may or may not know you very well, but I know this is true. You will never make enough money. You will spend every bit of it you make. Right? I remember making like 10 cents uh, a bale of hay. You know, every bale I got into the barn. Oh, that farmer ripped me off. But anyway, <laughs> a lot of work. 10 cents a bale of hay. Right? And I thought, man, if I had known what I was going to make when I was 15 or 25 or 35 or 40, I'd be like, man, I'm rich. But what's funny is I never feel rich. Because we have this hole inside of us that only God can fill. I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he'll live forever. The bread is my flesh, which I'll give uh, for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus is going to turn the script on him and it's going to get a little bit weird. And all of a sudden, they begin to get uncomfortable. Here's what he says to them. I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you'll have, he'll have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I'll raise him up in the last day. For my flesh is real food, my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him, just as the living Father sent me. I live, in, uh, I live because of the Father, so the one uh, who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread of life that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died, but he who feeds on this bread will live forever. And he said this in, while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. 
check this out. On hearing it, many of the disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Duh. <laughs> Some of you are like, ooh, that was really graphic and weird. Who can accept it? And there was like 20,000 people who just a few verses ago were like, let's make him king. Why? Oh, because things are going our way. Oh, there's so much potential. Oh, everything seems to be happening and benefiting us. And they said, well, you don't understand. It's not about that. It's about me. And you're going to have to center your whole life around me. And all of a sudden they say, "Woo, that's a hard teaching. Don't think I can accept that one. Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? What if you see the Son of Man ascended to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The, fresh, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I've spoken to you are spirit and they're life. Yet some of you who don't believe, for Jesus known from the beginning, which of them did not believe and who would betray him? And he went on to say this. This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. And from that time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Because it's hard to follow when things aren't going your way. And it's hard to follow when things don't line up the way that you hoped. And it's hard to follow, listen, this is huge, when you mistook Jesus as a means for a different end. And Jesus says, no, 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 that's not, that's not what we do. That's not why I came. I came as the end. And Jesus says to the 12, you do not want to leave too, do you? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. See, here's the thing. The only source of eternal life is found through Jesus. You will never find eternal life sitting in a pew or in a chair in church. You're never going to find eternal life serving and doing good in a community. Those are great things. They're wonderful things. And I don't want to diminish those things. But those things are not the end. They're a means to the end. They're becoming more like Christ. But Christ is the end. And when we miss that, we miss, listen, everything. We miss everything. See, I think sometimes in our life, the reason why we lose awe and wonder, remember when they were like, wow, this is amazing. This is incredible. I can't believe you took five loaves and two sardines and you fed 20,000 people. And then they got to the point where like, you know what? No more. Not going to follow you, but this is a hard teaching. I'm out. I think the reason why they got there is because it got challenging and difficult and they confused the means in the end. And I think that's true for us, church. I think sometimes we can lose hope and lose awe and wonder when we swap those things out. 
I know for, let me, let me just tell you this and be honest with you. And then you can either identify or not identify with me. And that's okay. You have your own reality here for just a moment. But I'll tell you for some time in my life, my sense of awe and wonder was based on a number of people who may or may not come to the church that I was working at. Sometimes my awe and wonder was kind of based along the idea or understanding of like, all right, who's going to be baptized or who's not? Right? We got, we got music from heaven going on right now. I don't know. Weird things happen whenever. I don't know. Just rocky top. And... Yeah. <laughs> but I did. <laughs> We can lose our sense of awe and wonder really quick when we confuse the end and the means. And what I want you to just look at in your life, if you're struggling with hope or you're struggling with figuring out awe and wonder in your relationship with God, is if you switched up the ends and the means. And maybe it's time to kind of resurface back to what it is that you're truly, truly worshiping. Because I believe this is true you're not going to find real life anywhere else. Where else are you going to go to find real life honestly? Honestly. We will lose our sense of awe and wonder when our hope comes from any other source but Jesus. It will never feel like enough it will never matter enough. And let me tell you something. That's not an out to not do those things. God calls us to do those things. In fact, one of, the, one of the things that Jesus points us to in Matthew, for those of you who've read the gospel accounts before, maybe you remember this story, where Jesus says, one day I'm going to separate out the sheep from the goats. And really what he's saying is, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of make a dividing line between the people who are really following me and the people who are just giving me lip service. And he says, listen, if you give anybody a cup of cold water in my name, in my name, with me as the end, and I won't forget you. And here's the really cool thing. Is that we get to do that on a week in, week out basis. And so over the next couple of weeks, we want to challenge you to re-inspire you to see awe and wonder around you. That maybe God has blessed you with some barley loaves and, and fish. And it may not be a whole lot. But maybe you are meeting the hope of somebody else. And maybe you're inspiring awe and wonder around you. And God is doing that through you to point people back to him. So today, as you leave, here's a couple of things that you're going to see in the very back. Uh, every week, we're going to have something a little different. It's going to come on a, a, something that looks like this. It looks kind of like the card that you guys got, but on the back side, it looks like this. It says, Hope for the Holidays. And every week, it will be just a different service opportunity that we challenge you to do, to be awe and wonder in our world and point people back to Jesus. This week, it looks like this. Buy a dozen donuts. I didn't say eat them. I just said buy them. <laughs> Drop them off at any police station, any fire station, any hospital, any nursing home, any school, any service uh, organization. We have a card that's in the back. Looks like this. It says we're for you. You can write them a little message. We have an envelope for you to put with that. Drop it off and just say, hey, this holiday season, I recognize may be tough for you. 
You might be working away from home, away from loved ones. You may have a schedule that you're thinking, oh, man, this really stinks. But we see you, and you're loved. And we just want you to know that. And maybe through those little tiny ways, right, that don't seem like much, that kind of seems like fish and loaves, that people's eyes are open. Not, listen, not to the means, but to the end. Because you give it in the name of Jesus. And you don't have to stand there and give them a whole sermon or like our pastor said. And we don't remember what our pastor said. You just say, listen, you are loved and you're chosen. And we want you to know that. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and give you peace. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling, present you before his glorious presence without fault and with tremendous joy. May you be swept away in God's love for you and transformed through the Holy Spirit's power within you. Thanks be to the only God, our Savior, who's unparalleled and unchanging, who's matchless and merciful, who is supreme and sufficient, who is before all things, through all things, and in all things, both now 